Good morning, church. It's so good to be back with you. And I want to begin by thanking you. I want to thank Pastor Ben and Dan and elders and all the staff and each of you for your partnership. Some of what you have invested in was in that video that you just uh, saw. You guys have funded through your giving and your prayers. You have funded uh, a little over 500 churches. In fact, the exact number here is 529 churches have been started in the last two or three years through you guys. We work primarily among what's called unreached people groups. Think your Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist world. So that's where these churches have been started. And to put that number in perspective, our churches are not big like this. Uh, think rabbits, little but multiplying. Okay, we work in a lot of places, for example, where you can't build a building. It's just not allowed. But our churches run about 20 people each, but they tend to reproduce and multiply. Okay, just under this tree, and then another one starts under that tree, and another one in that cave, and another one in that rooftop. But if you take 529 churches multiplied by 20, which is, well, one person's excited. That's good, all right? But if you take 529 churches to uh, multiply by 20, it comes out to over 10,000 new believers. And to put that number in perspective, I think your worship center here seats about 550 people, if I remember the number correctly. So basically, it would fill up this auditorium 19 times with the new believers from Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist backgrounds in a church with a trained pastor, over 1,500 uh, uh, what we call Paul's, Timothy's, and Titus's have been trained. Those are the leaders, and, and a whole bunch of orphans and widows. And that's what you guys have accomplished just through this partnership. That doesn't count everything else you do. And so on behalf of 10,000-plus people that you're going to see in heaven one day, I just want to say thank you. I want to thank the pastors. Please. And I told, I told the first service, I love everything about this place. Loretta and I, my wife is right. Darling, stand up if you would, please. We just took our 50th anniversary trip to Ireland, okay? Uh, we've only been married 45 years, but I wanted to go while I could. I didn't want to take a chance on not making it five more years. But we live, we live in Raleigh. To, it's about two hours and 21 minutes, to be exact, from our house to right here. And I tell you, if I was about two hours closer, this would be our church home. I love everything about this place. I've known Dan since, since uh, just way back in the dark ages. And you guys, I, I love everything. I, your, your worship team, uh, Jason, I called him Randy the first service. Uh, Jason, he, they do a good job, don't they? Amen? I don't know, Jason, are you in here? He's probably out front smoking or something. I don't know <laughs> where he is. But anyway, uh, that, that last song, Did You Hear the Nations Tremble? That song goes way back. I haven't heard it in quite a while. But so glad to, to be in partnership with you guys. Yeah, as Dan said, we work with indigenous people. We have removed what I call the three S's from the church planting equation. We don't pay salaries. We don't build seminaries or uh, sanctuaries. And we don't send people to seminary. Not opposed to any of that stuff. But when you get rid of those three S's, the cost of church planting goes way down. And as the cost of church planting goes way down, the ability to plant more churches goes way up. Last year, we were able to see a church started about every 17 minutes around the world, 16, 17. And this year, we're training a whole lot more. I'm thinking it will be even more than that. We primarily work among unreached people groups. 
And to be an unreached people group, at least 98% of the people of that ethnicity will tell you they are not a follower of Christ. And let me show you a few pictures that will give you an idea of where you guys have been investing. If you guys want to put up the first one, this is actually the country that you're in. The guy on the left is a businessman. We call him a Timothy. The guy on the right is the pastor. We call him the Paul. The Paul trains the Timothy how to share Christ where he lives, works, studies, shops, and plays. As he leads people of the Lord, he begins discipling them, and little churches spring up. Uh, this guy's church is actually on a rooftop. Uh, this, you're looking at one year's worth of fruit. There's about 101 people in that line. The next year, there was 102 people in the line. The training goes for two years, and they all meet on this rooftop. And I want to tell you, I don't know if that thing's built to code or not, but uh, it's a little, uh, little uh, sketchy at best couple hundred people on that roof but this is one year's fruit somebody in the United States may have been one of you wrote out a check for three or four hundred bucks and that's the fruit from one year can somebody say amen, amen. they say amen in Raleigh I don't know about you Charlotte people okay y'all are a bunch of liberals over here so I don't know I don't know if you say amen or not all right, let's move on to the next slide. This, uh, go, there we go. That little lady, her name is Kali. Kali is the name of a Hindu deity. And she was one of the people standing in that line. She was 83 years old. And she gave her heart to the Lord and she got baptized. And I just, I don't know, I just kind of felt drawn to her. Look at her. And I was, that's the Timothy there beside her. And I was talking to her afterwards and through a translator. And basically what she said was this. She said, you know, I wasn't rejecting Jesus. I didn't know who he was. Uh, you know why she didn't know who he was? Nobody had ever told her. And thank God, somebody that could speak her language and drink the water <coughs> told her about Jesus. She gave her heart to the Lord. Amen? Isn't that good? Look at the next slide. Let's move to Africa. This little lady's name is Rhoda. She's 90 years old. And uh, I'm from Georgia. We would say in Georgia about this woman, she's meaner than a junkyard dog. She, meanest old woman you'll ever meet. She's been an illegal bootlegger her entire life. And her, uh, Timothy came into her little village and started talking about Jesus. Her granddaughter became a follower of Christ. And the Timothy then said to granddaughter, who do you know that really needs Jesus? I mean, they're really messed up. And the first one that came into her mind was mean old Grandma Rhoda. So she went to Grandma Rhoda, told Rhoda about Rhoda accepted the Lord literally on the spot. She wasn't rejecting Jesus. Didn't know who he was. You know why she didn't know who he was? Somebody tell me. Nobody had ever... It's as simple as that. No, she just didn't know. Nobody had ever told her. And so Rhoda accepts the Lord. Rhoda says, what do I do next? And granddaughter said, I don't know. I've only been a Christian for like three hours here. But I think I heard him say something about being baptized. And Rhoda said, well, what's baptized? I don't know. I'm new at this. But I think, I think they'll take you out in the river and dunk you in the water. And Rhoda said, I want to get baptized right now. And, and granddaughter said, well, you can't get baptized right now. You've got to wait till next Sunday. And Rhoda said, I don't want to wait till next Sunday. I want to do it right now. And I told the first crowd, if I was 90 years old, I wouldn't want to wait till next Sunday either. And so look at the next slide. They called the Timothy, that's him in the white shirt, and they took Rhoda out, baptized her right there on the spot. Now, when we talk about planting churches, that's what we're talking about, amen? That's, that's kind of the idea. Look at the next slide. This is what we call a tree church. 
in West Africa. The whole, this is a typical place where we'd meet. You can see little huts in the background. There's no running water. There's no power. There's, uh, I don't even know if you can GPS the thing, but the whole village shows up under the trees there, and we're able to give the gospel to the whole village, and it's happened. Listen, I, I, I've seen it so many times. The whole village comes to Christ, everybody. They're not rejecting Jesus. They don't know who he is. Do you know why they don't know who he is? Nobody's ever told them. So the guy in the red sweater there, he's the Timothy. He, he uh, uh, tells them about Jesus, and a whole bunch of them respond, including, it's kind of hard to see. My pictures are awful, but it's kind of hard to uh, see. There's a guy sitting on the ground between the two trees with a baseball cap on. Turns out he's the chief of the village, kind of like our mayor, and when the Timothy found out that the chief was seated on the ground with everybody else, he was like, whoa, you don't do, that's not protocol. They have what they call a chair of honor. It's like an old beat up white uh, uh, chair, plastic chair you'd buy at Walmart. And by the way, whoever invented those white plastic chairs, they have made billions of dollars because those things are everywhere. But they, they have this old beat up white, and they'll bring it out, this chair of honor, and the chief will sit in that chair while everybody else is either standing or on the ground. And, and so the Timothy said, sir, you're the chief. You shouldn't be seated on the ground. And the chief said these words. He said, you're right. This is not protocol. I usually sit in the seat of honor. But today you have come and told us about the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. I've given him my life. And from this day forward, when he is the topic of discussion, I will sit on the ground at his feet. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. So. This is what we're talking about. That's a church right there, uh, real low overhead, uh, and it doesn't cost a whole lot to do that, but a little bit of, of training. Look at the next slide. This is, <clears throat> this is a church in Asia. One of, uh, I took the picture because, and they built their own little building, but I took the picture because it was six and a half years old, and they had already started 29 churches. Now, that's pretty good. It took me 37 years to start two, Okay. So 29 churches in six and a half years. And see the young man with the guitar front left there? That's a Timothy. They were training him to start a church. There were eight Timothys there that day. Each of the Timothys had two of their own Timothys. We call Timothys Timothy Titus. It's the next generation. <clears throat> and so there were 24, eight Timothys, 16 Tituses there being trained in that little crowd. And they'd already started 29 churches. <clears throat> and so that's what's, that's kind of, it gives you the flavor of what you guys have been investing in, what you've been doing. This is kind of the idea. Look at the next slide. This is a, a little orphan boy in a West African village. Every one of your churches that you guys fund, the song we just sang talked about, uh, about stepping on injustice. Well, there are orphans and widows everywhere, and they're not cared for. Each of the churches that we start take care of an orphan or a widow. So you guys have not only funded over 500 churches, but you're taking care of a whole lot of orphans, a whole lot of widows at the same time. And I came across this little fella. <clears throat> it was in a voodoo village, West Africa. I had just been walking down the trail, and there was a mound of dirt about this high, and it looked like somebody had taken a broken whiskey bottle and stuck it in the top. And my guide said, Dr. David, don't step there. I said, why not? He said, that's their, the God of this village. That's the God they worship. I said, it's not a God, man. It's like a pile of dirt with a broken whiskey bottle stuck in the top of it. He said, well, they worship it, so don't step there. So I walked around it, and I came into that little voodoo village, and I found this little fella. 
and he was standing there crying. And I, at the time, my grandsons were about his age, and I remember thinking to myself, if my grandsons were standing there crying, they wouldn't be crying very long. Somebody would pick them up and hold them and comfort them and wipe the tears away. And my heart just went out to this little fellow. You can't, the picture doesn't do it justice. I don't think the little kid had ever had a bath in his life. He was uh, just dressed in rags. And but for the grace of God, that's me and you. And I got to thinking, I wonder what he eats. And my guide said, well, he eats whatever the scraps that the dogs leave. And where does he sleep? He finds a little overhang. See the house back to the left there? Maybe he'll crawl up next to the wall and sleep there. And probably never, never had anybody probably pick him up and hold him and love him. And this picture's about seven or eight years old now. I, I, I don't even know if the little kid's still alive. But everywhere we go, the, the orphans are there, and the widows are there, and the traffic sex slaves are there. And so these churches that you guys are starting, you know, Pastor Dan asked you to give $100,000. Let me tell you something. You ever heard of a man named Jesus? He gave his blood for that little fella. He didn't give silver or gold. Gave his blood. And so that's what we're trying to do. Can't do it without you. Uh, you guys are the ones pouring fuel on the fire. You know, Dan just went down to Cuba. I don't know who he flew, what, what airline he flew there, but I know they charged him a ticket. I know that visa cost money. And it, you just can't do missions without money. I wish you could, but you can't. And we've been given so much. Our part, among other things, is funding the Great Commission. And so that's, that kind of gives you an idea of, of what we do. Let me show you another picture here. Uh, these are, you're looking at these three sections here are like counties, if you will, and the little jigsaw puzzle pieces are villages. And this is actually, we've been using your money for this project. We sent our Timothys out surveying villages as they go out prayer walking, looking for persons of peace to share Christ with. And while they're in the little village, the village might have 100 people, it might have 5,000, but they, they ask questions, are there any churches here? Are there any, uh, and, and if there's a church in that village, they'll know. It'd be like if somebody opened up a Hindu temple in your immediate neighborhood, the whole neighborhood would know. And so uh, if we find a church with believers there, we paint the village green. Do you see a couple of the green villages? If we find some believers but no church, we paint it yellow. If we can't find a single believer or a single church, we paint it red. And then what we do is we start praying over those red and yellow villages, and we send the Timothys out, and many of them start the churches in those red and yellow villages. What we've been doing with that $175,000 or so that you guys have given, what we've been doing with your money, look, listen very closely, we've been painting those red and yellow villages green. We've been going into those villages where there's no churches and usually no Christians and leading people to the Lord, discipling them, and starting churches. And that's what we would like to do with that next $100,000 if we're able to raise it. We want to paint a whole lot of those red and yellow villages green. We call this project Achieve, a church in every 
village. The idea is we want a, a gospel presence within walking distance of everybody on the face of the earth. We can do that in 38 countries and we partner with a bunch of other ministries. Together we cover the whole globe and we believe it's doable in the next 10 years or so. Let me show you just another picture here. We have, a, we have a prayer team. If you're watching online, if you take a picture of that and go online and join the team. For those of you that are here, I have a card. And I'm going to be, my wife Loretta and I are going to be right out, I mean, just dead center as you walk out. There's a table there. I'll be standing there afterwards with these cards. Now, this is not a typical missionary card. I can't, I can't give it to you. You take it home. It'll do me no good. You've got to take a moment and fill it out, drop it in the tray. And I'll send you prayer requests about once a month. And all I ask that you do is just pray and then delete the email. Don't ever post it on social media. You'll get somebody in trouble. Just pray and delete. Pray and delete. That's all you've got to do. And we could use your prayers. I'll tell you how badly I need them. If you walked up to me after church today and said, would you rather have $10,000 or me join the prayer team? I would say without any hesitation, can I please have both? Okay? But if you say... If you say, no, Nelms, you're greedy, you can't have both, I say, fine, join the prayer team. Uh, so that's how serious I am about this. We need, you, we need your prayers. Where, where we've been planting churches with you guys, the door is closing. We need your prayers. Please see us after the service. Uh, we, just had a, uh, we just had one of our Timothys beaten to death by her husband because she wouldn't quit talking about Jesus. He just beat her to death. And they probably praised them for doing so. Those are the kind of areas we're in. And all the money in the world is not going to change that. We've got to have prayer. You guys are partners. You say, what can we do? You can pray. We need your prayers. See me at the table at the end. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of urgency. I pray that you'll leave here today with a sense of urgency. I pray you'll leave here today with an, with, an, with an attitude in your mind of it can't be business as usual anymore. I'm not going to do, I'm, we, i, I got to quit playing church and I'm going to get serious about this. I mean, guys, listen to me. If the Bible's true, if there's a heaven, if there's a hell, if Jesus really is the son of God, if people really do go to hell without Jesus, if the only way to heaven to the father is through Jesus who shed his blood, if this stuff is really true, what else even matters? I mean, what else matters? Your family, your friends, everybody you know, they, they need Jesus. And the whole world needs Jesus. And that ought to be our, that ought to be our focus. Uh, I'm a, I told you I'm from Georgia. That's Southeastern Conference Company. We, uh, football is a God down there. Where I grew up, it's, it's kind of like Jesus, football, your mother, and then everything else below there, okay? And I'm as guilty of that as, as anyone. But I want to tell you, a hundred years now, it's not going to matter who won the football game. Uh, you who are Panther fans, you don't have to worry about that one, amen? Uh, it, it, uh, I lose more church partners that way. But, but I'm being honest. Uh, it won't matter 10 years from now who won the crazy game. It may be fun while you're watching it, but it won't really matter. That little orphan kid I just showed you, if somebody gives him Jesus, that changes everything for him. Everything. I want to start with 
a verse you know, John 3, 16 and 17. You know John 3, 16 by heart. I've always felt sorry for John 3, 17. Uh, imagine if, if your brother was John 3, 16 and you're John 3, 17. But just look at the verse. For God so loved the... Come on, talk to me, church. Who did God so love the... Yeah. How much did God so love the world? So much so that he gave his only son. Somebody tell me, who's the son of God? Yeah, Jesus. By the way, it's not a Christmas verse. It's a crucifixion verse. It's not talking about he gave him a little baby Jesus in the manger. It's talking about he gave him up to die on a cross. That's the idea here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, whoever in the world, believes, places their trust in him, Jesus, should not perish. That's John's way of saying, you don't, I'm going to speak freely. The idea there is you don't have to die and go to hell. Perish for eternity. But you can have eternal life. Who wouldn't want that? Look at the next verse, verse 17. For, for is a connecting word. It's a bridge. It's same context, same thought. For God did not send his son into the to condemn the but in order that the might be saved through him. Whenever you're studying the Bible, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's always good to look for a key word in a passage. You say, how do you know if it's a key word? Well, there's many ways. But one way is if you see the same word repeated over and over and over and over again, uh, train your eyes to zero in on that word. Well, in John 3, 16 and verse 17, uh, there's one word repeated four times. That word is the word world. Yeah. If you don't get anything else out of this passage, it says, Almighty God loves the people of this world so much that he sent his son to die on a cross so they could have eternal life. Now, most of you have kids in your home or you have had kids in your home. You would take a bullet for your children. You would protect your children. You wouldn't let anyone, if, if someone just looked at your child, wanted to do them harm, you, you mama bears, you'd be all over them, would you not? Uh, let me ask you something. Do you think you love your children more than God loved his son? I don't think so. Yet God, as much as he loved his son, he sent his son to this world to die on a cross. Have you ever studied crucifixion? We have an English word that describes crucifixion. That word is excruciating. It's ex out of cruciating, crucifixion. Excru you say, I've got an ex uh, excruciating headache. What you mean is, is it's just awful. It's just horrible. That's the idea of the cross. It was designed as the most horrible possible way to inflict the most pain on a person for as long as you could, make them suffer. Sometimes they'd hang on a cross for days. The idea was we're, go we're not going to just execute you. We're going to execute you in such a way to where we'll send a message to everybody else. Don't break our Roman law. That's, that's the idea of it. And God loved this world so much that he sent his son to this earth to die an excruciating death so that we could be saved. Our God sacrificed his son for the sins of the world. Now, I got a question for you. Doesn't it make sense to you that somebody ought to tell the world that there's a God in heaven that loves them so much he sent his son to die for them? Is that unreasonable? Is it not reasonable that somebody ought to tell the world well, I got news for you. 
There are billions of people in this world who've never heard that story. And they don't know. And it just seems reasonable to me. That's what your missions month is about. It's about us waking up out of our stupor, realizing that God has blessed us more than just to bless us. He's blessed us to be a blessing to the world. He's given us what he's given us, expecting us to be good stewards of it and use it in such a way to where we can tell the whole world about this great God. Two truths this morning. Truth number one, the world is big. There's eight billion people plus on the face of the earth. It's just a big world. I Googled it last night. North Carolina's population is around 11 million. And it, it, uh, you know, I dread driving through Charlotte. I dread driving through Raleigh-Durham. There's so much traffic, so many people. 11 million people in this state. But you know, we work in two cities in Asia that their combined population is 53 million people. That's the population of North Carolina and Virginia and South Carolina and Georgia and Tennessee, just in two cities. The world, it's big. Truth number two, the world is lost. It's lost. About 30% of the world claims to be a follower of Christ. That would include all cults. That would include all Protestants. That would include all Catholics. That would include all Orthodox. It would include all evangelicals. Some of that 30%, probably it's more of a head knowledge than a heart knowledge, I would guess. But 70% of the world will tell you they are not a follower of Christ. See, where the red is, that's where we work. That's where, you're, uh, that's where you guys have been investing. That's where your unreached people groups are. Some five and a half billion people will tell you they are not a follower of Jesus Christ. And many of them have never even heard his name. I have lost count of the places that I've been where they, they, they don't know who Jesus is. They, they, they're not rejecting him. They don't know who he is. Because nobody's ever, nobody's ever told them. I work in places where, where they, they don't know what a pastor is. They'll ask, what's a pastor? What's a church? <coughs> what's a Bible? They have no idea. I want to show you a slide Coca-Cola slide. I grew up in Georgia, as I told you. Atlanta is the birthplace headquarters of Coke. I love Coca-Cola. Uh, if you want to get on my good side, give me a, give me a, a, a Coke Zero. Amen? I love Coca-Cola. Where I grew up, Pepsi was a four-letter word, okay? We didn't like Pepsi. <clears throat> it was all Coke. But Coca-Cola really irritates me. They, a bunch of business people, downtown Atlanta, about 150 years ago, got together and they worked out a business plan, and they figured out how to get their product to the ends of the earth. 97% of the world has access to Coca-Cola. I have never been any place where they weren't drinking Coca-Cola. It is everywhere. You can take the main road to the secondary road to the path, and there is no road left, and you've got to get out and walk, and you cross a couple of rivers and down in the jungle, and you'll find 10 little grass huts, and there's no power, there's no running water, but there'll be two old men sitting under a tree drinking a Coca-Cola. I don't know how, I've never had a missionary tell me that they've been any place where there's not Coca-Cola. Every time I make that statement, a missionary will walk up to me after the service and say, you're right. I mean, I was in such and such for 30 years. I never went any place where they did. Somehow they figured out, listen to me, for the love of money, for the love of the bottom line, a bunch of executives downtown Atlanta figured out how to get their product to the ends of the earth, and they did it for the love of the bottom line, for the love of money. They have accomplished in 150 years what the church of Jesus Christ has yet to accomplish in 2,000 
thousand years for the love of Almighty God and for the love of a lost world. And you know, this slide, I know we, this slide ought to shame us. It ought to break our hearts. If Coca-Cola, I know we can complete the Great Commission. I know we can finish the task. I know we can get the gospel to the ends of the earth because Coca-Cola has already done it. There are thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of villages, probably millions, that have no gospel witness. Think of nations like the Congo and Indonesia and Nepal and Pakistan and Senegal and Sri Lanka and Sudan and Myanmar and Thailand and Cambodia and Togo and Vietnam and Myanmar and Senegal and Guinea and Guinea-Bissau and the Gambia and Benin. And it just goes on and on and on and on. North Africa, the Middle East, all over Africa, Central Asia, all of your millions there, the, the stand countries there, uh, the Far East. China, the islands of the sea, the hundreds of millions of people that live all across Southeast Asia, Europe. France has more registered witches than they have evangelical pastors. Europe is post-Christian, even the United States. The United States, our, our ch the church is in decline, as you know. I'm convinced that if you went into the average church in, in the U.S. today and asked the congregation, do you know what the Great Commission is? I don't think most people would know. I listened to Pastor Jason uh, mention the Great Commission a couple of times today. Most churches never hear those words. They don't know that there is this Great Commission that God gave us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. They don't know it. They're not taught it. And those who are familiar with the Great Commission, they've got in their minds that it's the church's job. <clears throat> May I ask you a question? Who is the church? Come on, answer me. Who's the church? We are. Did y'all really think this is the church right here? This thing? Is this the church? Is that screen the church? Maybe that good looking guy on the screen, amen? <laughs> is, is, is this platform the church? No, we are. You say, well, David, the Great Commission, that's the church's job. Well, who's the church? Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? Please get this today. And if you get mad, that's okay, because I'm going back to Raleigh. Okay? I'll give you Dan's email address if you need it. You can tell him. It is your responsibility. Sir, I don't know. You'd, you could probably punch me out. It's your responsibility. Guys down here on the front, it's your responsibility. Way, way back up there, it's your it. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he wasn't talking to some organization. The church hadn't even been birthed yet. He was talking to a bunch of people, a bunch of followers. How many of y'all are followers of Jesus Christ? It's not a trick question. You're a follower of Jesus? Guess who he gave the Great Commission to? You. Now, if you're thinking, oh, man, uh, I knew I should have stayed home today. If that's what you're thinking, don't look at it as an obligation or a duty. Look at it as an incredible opportunity and honor. I get to tell people about Jesus, the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen, David? You say, Dave, what, what can we do? How do we, 
Okay, it's our responsibility. You got me on that one biblically. I can't, I can't worm my way out of it. I know I'm supposed to be part of this Great Commission thing individually. It's my responsibility. How do I do it? How do I help get the gospel to the ends of the earth? Number one, uh, through, Pastor Dan's already mentioned it, through our giving. And by the way, we must be urgent on this because, because did you know 155,000 people perish every day? I think the population of the city limits of Charlotte's around 900,000. That's what I Googled last night. By this time next week, when you're in church next Sunday morning at this time, over one million people would have perished. I think the entire city limits of, of Charlotte would have died and gone into a, an eternity without Christ in a place called hell. And the next week, another million. And the next week, another million. And the next week, another million. And then another and another and another and another and another and another. And why doesn't that bother us? Do we really believe that there's a hell? Do we really believe what the Bible says? Why doesn't that bother us? Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem to die on a cross. And he sees a city. And the Bible says Jesus, he began weeping. He began crying. These people are about to nail him to a cross. He's not crying over himself. He's crying over them. They're, when's the last time you drove through your neighborhood and you shed tears? When's the last time you, on your way into your office, your, your heart was so broken over the people you work with, understanding where they're headed for eternity, that you just began crying? When's the last... Our, 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 we have no tears. We have, I don't, I'm not sure that we really believe this stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, we, we must respond to what the Scripture says with a sense of with a sense of urgency. You say, David, what can I do? Well, you can give. We can give. Did you know that 41% of the world is classified as unreached population-wise? That red area I showed you a moment ago? Less than 5% of our missionaries are able to go into that part of the world. They're just not allowed in. And less than 1% of missionary dollars goes to that part of the world. We are trying to reach 41% of the world, your Muslim-Hindu world, on 1% of missionary dollars. We must not only give, but we must, we must be strategic in the way we give. People ask me all the time, they say, David, how much should I give? Well, don't ask me, ask your father. And by the way, that is the answer. Ask your father. Don't write out a check. Don't give out of your abundance. Don't just say, well, they want me to give a offering something. No, go home and get on your knees and pray and ask your father, Father, what should my part be? What do you want me to do? How much do you want me to give? And then you simply do as your father tells you to do. What can we do to get the gospel out? We can give. Number two, we can make disciples right here at home. Every one of us, the Great Commission is not just ends of the earth. It's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. It's here, near, far. Most of you folks have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You say, but David, I, I'm not qualified. I have never been to seminary. Count your blessings that you've never been to seminary. You don't have to. Jesus never went to seminary. Peter and John never went to seminary. They were unlearned and ignorant men, but they had been with Jesus. Jesus rubbed off on them. All you need is for Jesus to rub off on you. Just spend some time with Jesus and begin talking like he talks and thinking like he thinks and doing what he does, and you'll find that God will use you to bring others to Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. Yeah. You say, Dave, it's a big lost world. We get that. What can we do about it? It's my responsibility. What can, what can I do? Well, you can give and you can make disciples right here. And finally, you can pray. And I'm back to that prayer card. You can pray. I want to show you some pictures in closing. 
If we need anything, we need prayer. You guys want to put up, there we go. This guy is one of our Timothys. He lives in the mountains along the Chinese border in a, in a particular country. He kept talking about Jesus, and so the authorities came and confiscated his pig. Doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but that'd be like somebody, the government showing up at your front door tonight and confiscating your work truck because you won't quit talking about Jesus. And they gave him this warning. They said, if we have to come back again, we're going to take your house. That's his little house there behind us, his wife and his baby. Imagine the government said to you, we're taking your work truck, and if you talk about Jesus one more time, we're coming here and we're taking your house. You're going to live in the forest. You're going to live in the woods. You'll be homeless. That's his situation. You say, Dave, and I don't know why this isn't on the news, this kind of stuff. It happens every day. You say, David, what can we do for our brother and sister? We can pray. We can pray. We can pray, if we will. Look at the next slide, the next mountain over. Uh, skin disease, another Timothy. The house, you can probably tell it's not the fanciest place in the world. I've been in it. It's probably the size of about maybe a little bit bigger than this drum case, twice that big. Uh, almost no furniture, dirt poor. They have no money. He's sick. He's got this disease. And you say, you say, uh, has it been to the doctor? If you've ever been in the mountains along the Chinese border, there's no hospital, there's no doctor, there's no clinic. If there is a little clinic, the doors are shut, they're barred, uh, and there's no medicine on the shelves, and he wouldn't have the money to buy it if, if there was medicine on the shelf. You say, what do they do when they get sick? Listen to me. They die. They suffer and they die. That's the reality of the world. That's the reality of much of the world, the developing world. They, they suffer and they, you say, what can we do to help our brother? We can pray. We can pray. We can pray. Look at the next picture. This is uh, in, in a Muslim country. Uh, this is the uncle of one of our leaders. He walked out of church one morning. A car pulled up. Suicide car blew up. Blew up the whole church. 32 Christians were killed on the spot. He was dead on arrival. His uncle calls me, or his nephew calls me on the phone weeping. Dr. David, they killed my uncle. They killed my uncle. What am I going to do? It happens all the time. You say, David, what can we do for these? these are, are you hearing me? These are our brothers, our sisters. We can pray. Look at the next slide. This young lady on the left there along the Tibetan border, up in the Himalayas, earthquake hit. She realized her baby was in the house. She went running up the hill to grab her baby. Just before she'd get out of the house, the roof collapsed. She was crushed. She Try to protect her baby the best she could. Baby ended up with a broken leg. She was able to crawl out of the rubbish. She lay on the ground for several days until someone finally found her. By the time they could get her to a hospital, the roads were all destroyed from the, from the earthquake. They had to amputate both her legs. Took, that's why she's all wrapped up there. They took off both of her legs. And I want especially <coughs> you young ladies to look at that picture. If you're a 25-year-old single mother and you live along the Tibetan border in the Himalayas, and you've never seen a wheelchair or an escalator or an elevator in your life, and you've got a little baby, and you no longer have any legs, and on top of that, you're a Christian. You say, what can we do? We can pray. We can pray. I want to close by showing you a video. I go to this country about once a year. It's a temple, Hindu temple. 
These platforms are all up and down the, the river. These are real bodies being cremated. Feet are stuck out to the right side. You can kind of see it. They usually cremate them within 24 hours. They start the fire right in the mouth, and the whole body is consumed. Sometimes they're cremated with jewelry on, and little boys will get down in the water like you see here and kind of fish out the jewelry. It's hard to see them, but the loved ones, the relatives, are over on the right-hand side. And I sit on those steps over there, and I watch, and they love their family as much as you love yours, and I love mine. Uh, oh, listen, the weeping, the sorrow. I've seen them just pass out in, in, in uh, grief. They weep and they wail and they sorrow. Paul said, we sorrow not as others who have no hope. These people have no hope. They know they will never see their loved one again. And they are crushed. They are crushed. And this goes on hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. At this particular temple, it's been going on for over a thousand years. And this is just one of thousands and thousands and thousands of other temples. And every time I go there, I sit on those steps and I watch. And the words, the thoughts that come to my mind are these, for God so loved the that he gave his only son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. They don't have to perish, but can have eternal life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the, but in order that the, through him might be saved. And then I think these words, these thoughts, somebody ought to tell these people. Because they don't know. And I don't know if God weeps. But I have a feeling he does. But I'm not sure if he weeps most over their lostness. Or the fact that we know all of this. And it doesn't seem to matter all that much. This missions month you're having, it's critical. You guys can make an eternal difference in tens of thousands of lives if you want to. It's a real honor to be your partner. Thank you so much.